0: Welcome to the Energy Intelligence Podcast. My name is Ronan Kavna, Deputy Editor of EI New Energy. And I'm here today to discuss our recently released Green Utilities Report with its author, Energy Intelligence Senior Reporter and Analyst Philippe Roos. Philippe, can you briefly explain what the report aims to do?
1: yes of course so we've we've selected a group of power generators uh, meaning utilities and independent power producers ipps which together represent uh, almost half of the world's power generating capacity and we've ranked these companies for their greenness and by greenness we mean uh, the climate impact. So it's this is this is strictly about climate impact. It's not about local pollution or nuclear waste, for example. And to do this ranking, we've used two criteria. One is uh, CO2 emissions per kilowatt hour or megawatt hour, and the other one is renewable capacity. And by renewable, we mean the so-called modern renewables, which mostly include wind and solar and therefore not hydropower. And it's because uh, it's where the growth is and how the transition is taking place by the investment companies are making in wind and solar.
0: So what did you find? I mean, who are the winners and losers here?
1: Well, the transition has had so far its most dramatic impact on European utilities and power generators. Uh, Those we have in the ranking have added 43 gigawatts of wind and solar capacity since 2011, which is when we've started publishing the, the report. Uh, and at the same time, they've been retiring on divesting 100 gigawatts of uh, fossil fuel assets. And the result is that their carb- carbon intensity has dropped to 245 kilograms of CO2 per megawatt hour, or 240 grams per kilowatt hour last year down for from 400 grams uh, per kilowatt hour in 2011. So it's almost a uh, 40% decrease, which is quite re- remarkable in, in less than a decade.
0: And uh, the U.S. companies are moving too? Yes, indeed.
1: Uh, we've looked, for example, at 10 of the largest uh, utilities in the U.S. with companies such as Dominion, Duke, Entergy, Exelon, Together, they account for over 300 gigawatts of capacity, which is which is about 30% of total U.S. capacity. And so those 10 companies have added 26 gigawatts of renewables since 2011. And at the same time, their fossil fuel capacity has shrunk by 37 gigawatts. And at the same time, it was massively switched from coal to gas, thanks to cheap shale gas. Uh, the result is that their average emissions fell to 364 grams of CO2 per kilowatt hour last year, which is down 36% from uh, 568 in 2011. So it's almost the same decrease as in Europe. Uh, and quite interestingly, 364 grams per kilowatt hour is roughly the emissions
0: of a combined cycle gas turbine, or CCGT. And how do all overall efforts stack up compared, say, for against the oil industries?
1: Well, compared to the oil and gas sector, the power sector seems to be taking the Paris goals much more seriously. Uh, power companies have started to announce and implement uh, decarbonization plans, which are quite ambitious, at least in Europe. And perhaps more surprisingly, in the US. And they're typically aimed at reaching carbon-neutral generation by 2050 or a bit before, uh, which involves a massive change in the generation mix. And
0: there's a very different demand outlook too as well, isn't there?
1: Yeah. uh, I mean, one major point is that power has a clear future because electricity will will always be needed, as far as we know. Uh, And on top of that, there's a fairly clear roadmap in terms of where to go and how to achieve it. The main issue, of course, is to decarbonize generation, and it's pretty well understood. Uh, It involves renewable energy, perhaps some nuclear, perhaps some amount of carbon capture to handle emissions from the residual fossil fuel power supply that that will probably remain. And so that's the power sector. And on the other hand, whether oil and gas will still be used in I don't know, 20, 30, 50 years, it's, it's more questionable. So it obviously makes the transition a more difficult challenge for the old companies. And for the power sector, this has already, as I said, translated to substantial emissions reductions through mostly coal to gas switching on the one hand and renewable investment on the other hand.
0: I mean, how far does all of this get us towards the Paris goals? Uh, well, as I said, most European utilities are
1: committed to deliver carbon neutral power by 2045 and 2050, which would involve at least 80% renewable generation, plus, as I said, also some nuclear and technologies such as CCS, uh, which is basically what the Paris Agreement requires.
0: And US utilities, are they looking at targets to cut emissions too? Yeah. they're Take
1: for example Duke Energy, which I already mentioned. They've, they they plan to cut CO two emissions by half between now and between twenty between no not now between two thousand and five and two thousand thirty, and to fully decarbonize by twenty fifty. You have other companies such as Exile Energy, which is a coal intensive utility. They hope to cut CO two emissions by eighty percent between two thousand five and two thousand thirty, and also aim aims for zero carbon electricity by 2050 another example similar example is aep which is also coal intensive and they're confident they will be able to cut co2 emissions by 80 percent between 2000 and 2050 Uh, and they've recently revised their 2030 emissions uh, reductions target to 70 percent up from a previous 60 percent which will involve as as they announced adding almost 10 gigawatts of new wind and solar generation. So it's it's quite a lot
0: of money. It's quite a lot of involvement. Impressive. But how disruptive is this transition proving for the companies involved? And how are they going about navigating the new terrain? Well, it's quite challenging. Uh, If you take regions where the transition
1: is ongoing, uh, fossil fuel generation is sometimes struggling to stay alive. In, in, In Europe, for example, gas fire plants are sandwiched somehow between coal plants on the one hand, which are still alive. And they are, yes, very carbon intensive, but they are very cheap to run for two reasons. They are old in Europe, so they're fully depreciated and coal itself is very cheap. And the other side of the sandwich is renewables, uh, which was initially supported by subsidies and policies, but now renewable energy is self-sustainable on a pure economic basis. In the US, you have a a different sandwich, but uh, the same kind of problems. Uh, you have coal, which is struggling between cheap shale, shale gas and uh, renewables that are getting cheaper and cheaper.
0: And the demand side of the equation is changing a lot as well, isn't it?
1: Yeah, uh, another consequence of uh, renewable growth, it's the impact it has on power prices, basically because uh, renewables have a very low, almost zero variable cost, which means market prices can become very low, even negative at times. Uh, another phenomenon is the emergence of prosumers, which is the fact that consumers can also become producers and sometimes send power to the grid. This all means that we will probably require quite soon to, to, to revise the very rules of power markets and grid management. Uh, also, transitioning to lower carbon generation requires quite often writing off uh A lot of assets, hundreds of millions or sometimes billions of dollars worth of assets, which is uh, is a difficult thing to do. And sometimes, if you take the case, for example, of E.ON in Germany, they are planning to exit any form of generation, actually.
0: And I mean, looking at the goals of the Paris Agreement, I mean, it requires action far beyond just what Europe and the U.S. are doing. How are other regions um, adjusting so far? Well, if we look beyond Europe and the U.S., uh, some of the
1: companies we have in the ranking perform quite well in terms of emissions. So many of them are around 500 grams of CO2 per kilowatt hour, which is much better than what a pure coal generator would do, at between 800 and 1,000 grams per kilowatt hour. But those companies are often in the in the ranking are often handicapped by the small size or sometimes the non-existence of a renewable capacity. Uh, I mean, you have, and that includes some big companies, such as Egat uh, in, uh, in Thailand, uh, Taiwan Power in Taiwan, TNB in Malaysia, Capco in South Korea. I mean, some big companies uh, are, don't seem to be much involved in uh, renewable generation.
0: And of course, looking to China, which is a critical part of the equation,
1: China is different because Ch- Chinese companies are very much involved in... in I mean, the big Chinese uh, generators are very much involved in renewable generation. Uh, the, the big five generators are actually among the biggest renewable operators in the world. The problem is that they also own massive uh, carbon-intensive coal-fired capacity. So if, I, if you take these big five, they together own 125 gigawatts of wind and solar, which is huge. It's about... of the wind and solar capacity we have in the total ranking. Uh, They also own an equivalent amount of uh, hydro capacity, which is also carbon-free, but they also have, and that's the problem, uh, almost 600 gigawatts of of thermal capacity, which is mostly coal-fired in China. And this all leads to average emissions at just over 740 kilograms of CO2 per megawatt hour, which is... A bit better than pure coal generation, but not a lot better than pure coal generation. Uh, in China, you have also companies that perform better in terms of emissions. You have pe- people—I mean, companies like the like uh, China General Nuclear or China Free Gorges, which are, as as their name indicates, uh, nuclear specialists or hydro specialists. But they—they're not only in these uh, in these energies. They—they they are. Quite unique examples of companies combining their uh, nuclear or hydro strength with substantial renewable capacity and, and very little, few fossil fuel uh, generation.
0: And what about the major fossil fuel producing com- countries and the companies there? Uh, well, in the Middle East, the
1: generators we have in the in the ranking tend to rank poorly. Uh, on the one hand, because they don't seem to consider renewables as a priority, and also on the other hand, because a large chunk of their generation is made of inefficient steam cycle uh, plants rather than modern CCGTs, which is which generates emissions which are less than optimal. And so, if you take companies like Sonel Gas in Algeria or Tavanir in Iran, they are mostly uh, using uh, gas, but they're they're uh, they're ranked about about as low as the coal-based utilities we have in the ranking. In a number of co- of uh, oil-producing countries, uh, you have quite substantial hydro potential I and mean, this is the case in venezuela mexico norway brazil canada russia and this allows companies there to achieve very low emissions Corpoelec in venezuela cfe in mexico Statkraft in uh,
0: norway etc and what lessons are there from all of this for other sectors i mean especially the oil and gas companies as they seek to navigate the transition
1: Well, I suppose one lesson would be to be responsive about social demands and investors' demands and even try to be proactive instead of being quite often reluctant or blaming the others, such as governments or sometimes counting on unproven technologies such as CCS to solve the problems. Uh, One good example, as I've mentioned already, is the U.S. utility sector, uh, with these carbon neutrality announcements they've uh, they've made for a number of uh, of them,
0: and of course, I mean this is in response to kind of questions about ESG issues, which have become very prominent lately. Yes, and and, and to stay in
1: the US. Uh, An an interesting initiative is how the utility sector has collectively decided to comply with investors' demands on ESG reporting. Uh, The sector has launched an industry-wide ESG reporting template, which is quite unique, and it's aimed at providing investors with more uniform, better quality information and data. Uh, And it was developed by the sector's industry group, the Edison Electric Institute, with some of the large U.S. financial institutions.
0: And how different is this from oil?
1: Uh, Well, you take, for example, a recent report by the Transition Pathway Initiative, which is an investors-led initiative. Uh, The report found that almost half of the utilities are already aligned with the Paris targets or are about to be aligned based on their announcements. Uh, you even have some of those utilities planning to reach near zero carbon by 2030 with companies like EDF, Eon, uh, Exelon, or Ersted. Uh, On the other hand, the same report file find, found that in the oil and gas sector, only two companies, Shell and Repsol, plan to be allowed, aligned with what they call the least ambitious benchmark by 2050.
0: And I mean, how are the oil companies approaching opportunities in the electricity sector? Well, it's been
1: changing. There was a, a period a few years ago when companies were saying they would uh, diversify in electric- into electricity, but they would move there by offering e- Energy solutions, it was quite vague what they meant by energy solutions and probably not very different from what existing energy service companies are already offering. Uh, now they seem to be more into project development where they do have skills that are actually and definitely usable. Uh, they've done also a few acquisitions in uh, project development and uh, and retail marketing. Uh, but I, I'm wondering if they shouldn't consider doing something bigger for example acquiring
0: some of the big utilities who knows and if they do the green utilities report will be an invaluable guide with a wealth of detail thank you philippe for coming and sharing some insights with us today and we hope everybody enjoyed listening to our podcast and tune in for the next time
1: Thanks for listening to the Energy Intelligence Podcast. Please check back with us soon for
0: our latest content, which you can find at energyintel.com.